0: Romans, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ear. You're listening to Oh Brother, When Art Thou?
1: And now here's your host, Neil White. Welcome to Oh Brother, When Art Thou? I'm your host, Neil White, joined as always by my brother, David. And David, we've had another week of history pass us by. And these days, it feels like more than one week at a time's worth of history that we're getting. There always seems to be something happening, Neil. So with all of that history passing us by, let's do a podcast to cover just a little bit of it. David, oh brother, when art thou? Neil, there
0: are rioters on the streets of the capital city. The local officials are planning to call in soldiers hardened with their experience of violence in a war in a faraway land. But it's politically controversial, not least because of the multiple, complex, racial distinctions between the various classes of people who live there. The moment I'm talking about, of course, the one you're all thinking about, is October 1800 in Sierra Leone.
1: Well, David, the way you started off there, I thought maybe we really were going to cover just the last few weeks of what had happened, but let's go back to 1800 in Sierra Leone. Why are people rioting in the streets? Well, the proximate
0: cause is food prices. The price of food has gone up, and the people in the town referred to as Nova Scotians are feeling the the crunch that's economically it's a hardship when food prices go up but underlying that there are deeper factors relating to why there's a group of people in freetown
1: sierra leone who are called the nova scotians yeah this might get confusing david because to me nova scotians are people from nova scotia why do they call people in freetown sierra leone nova scotians well, to explain that, I'm going
0: to start with a plug to one of our own previous episodes, episode number 29, The Customs Agent, The Slave, and The Heir in England. If you recall that, it was about the anti-slavery movement in England in 1772 and their success, but it also covered their failure, their failure to get slavery banned more widely in the British Empire. And Sierra Leone is one of the outcomes of that combination of success and failure. It's a colony, yes, but it's run by the Sierra Leone Company, a private corporation that is made up of abolitionists from England who wish to create a society in Africa that will be a shining example to the world of what can be achieved using free labor rather than slavery but to do that they needed to recruit some free labor and in Africa they didn't have a lot of money to actually pay people and they're quite reasonably we're not a whole ton of local Africans signing up to work for a bunch of white people for free. So, they had to move to a different plan. That brings us to the American Revolution. You may have heard of it. It was a pretty big deal, David. So, as it ended, one of the last desperate acts of the British colonial government in America trying to stave off defeat was to start arming some local blacks, either free blacks or ex-slaves from rebel plantations who they'd confiscated initially as property, but who they then freed to become soldiers. Now obviously that wasn't enough to stave off defeat, but the British weren't always willing to simply abandon them to their fate, should they be recaptured by the American revolutionaries. So at the end of the American Revolution, this group of now free people of color were evacuated with the British Army up to Halifax, Nova Scotia, where they were obviously outside the range of American retaliation, but which led to problems in Nova Scotia as the local government tried to figure out what to do with this
1: new influx of people so these free blacks who'd been fighting for the British are now in Nova Scotia after the end of the American Revolution which of course the Americans won so is this going to explain why people in Sierra Leone come to be known as Nova Scotians indeed because
0: you're not going to find this shocking a bunch of people brought from the american south to nova scotia with no time to prepare find canadian winters less than a super
1: pleasant experience david many people who've lived their entire lives in canada find canadian winters less than a pleasant experience
0: as do i actually so they complained to the british government about having to live in nova scotia they didn't like it it was too cold And this new abolitionist company, the Sierra Leone Company, saw that as an opportunity and recruited colonists, black colonists, to go back to Africa from Nova Scotia, most of whom were initially from the southern United States. And this leads to the Nova Scotians, this group in sierra leone mostly in freetown roughly a thousand people who become the first colonists for the sierra leone company and make up the bulk of the population of the city and start trying to create the colony that was the plan was promised this idea that they're going to create a shining example of what free africans can do
1: on african soil So we have a group from the United States originally, by way of Nova Scotia, now living in Freetown, creating this new colony. How do things get to the point, David, where they're now rioting in the streets by 1800, which can't be that much longer?
0: It's not that much later, but it does take a couple of things for them to get to that point. I should note at the start things are hopeful obviously it takes time for any new attempt to settle an area to become self-sustaining so they need shipments of food to come in from England to help keep their economy self-sustaining in that initial setup period but they're working hard and shipments are coming in from England and a local council is set up the official council run by the sierra leone company is all white but an unofficial actually democratically elected black council is also set up and they start the process of trying to build a nation but they soon find themselves in conflict with the local africans Who are from societies, some of which still practice slavery or are used to selling human beings into the European slave trade and are kind of upset that now the only Europeans in their area of the coast aren't willing to pay for their traditional product. And more than that, there quickly becomes conflicts over the food supply. The fact that there's now a large population that's been dropped on the coastal area that expects to get land and grow their own food is putting pressure on the local african population who traditionally owned that land and want the food grown there to feed their own families so this creates conflicts which need to be resolved which is hard for a group of abolitionists most of whom remain in London and are horribly out of touch with what's actually going on in the colony, to really understand. So, of course, orders come down from London with a brilliant plan to fix everything.
1: So, all is not perfect in this new colony, in this new way of doing things in Sierra Leone. What is the plan that comes from London? So, the London abolitionist
0: councils that are running the Sierra Leone Company have seen the profits that American slave owners are making off of growing cotton. So, their new plan is to prove that they can grow cotton even better than the Americans can. So, they send down orders to Freetown. You have to on all the company owned land which has traditionally been growing food to feed people you have to grow cotton lots of cotton now unfortunately the soil is not the right kind of soil the area is not the right area and the entire cotton planting effort does not actually grow very much cotton at all or turn a profit but what it does do is crash
1: the food supply available in the colony. What a disaster, David, and all run by this out-of-touch group of well-meaning abolitionists in London, but who just don't know what is going on in Sierra Leone and don't realize that it's not a good place to grow cotton. They are
0: moral people. Unfortunately, they're not agricultural experts, which is what they really need at this point. So, the price of food goes up, the people are unhappy, the local Sierra Leone company governor decides that the best response is to blame the elected black council as being the ringleaders, the troublemakers, and dissolve all democratic participation in the colony, and therefore very shortly there's an outbreak of rioting in September on the streets of Freetown and the colony the guys at the
1: top are terrified so David this is basically exactly the opposite of what we want to see in terms of the riots going on in the world right now we don't want to see shutting down of democracy but that is the plan for the abolitionists in London. They're going to end democracy in Sierra Leone. And of course, that doesn't go over so well with the people in Sierra Leone who would like to have their democracy back. How does it go down in between these rioters and the government leaders in charge? Well, the issue
0: for the Sierra Leone company, I'm going to come back to the fact that it's a private company. They don't have the right to appeal to the British army to put down these riots this is their internal problem and they don't have an army or even a police force so they need to get one and fast luckily the British government is looking to try and get rid of a problem that they've got and some of the abolitionist leaders in London again are seeing a chance to make an omelet, to take London's problem and turn it into Sierra Leone's solution. What is London's problem? So now we've got to go to Jamaica. At
1: least it's warmer than Nova Scotia.
0: Uh, We're actually going to come back to the fact that it's warmer than Nova Scotia in just a minute. So in Jamaica, one of the aspects of slavery that's unique there is that when the British seized it from the Spanish way way back the local African community some of them slaves some of them had already been free under the Spanish successfully evade being enslaved by the British and become a community a group of communities actually known as the Maroons and the Maroons successfully fight for their freedom against the British in the first Maroon War and get a treaty signed in which it's agreed that the British will respect their freedom so long as they don't accept any runaway slaves from the British slave plantations on Jamaica. Now that's a hard thing to ask anyone to try and do to ignore their fellow humans desperately asking for help. So it's not a whole huge surprise when, by 1797, there's a second Maroon War, as the British accuse some of the Maroon communities on Jamaica of failing to obey that first treaty and send forces to crush them and whatever, which turns out to be really dumb because the British Army does not have the kind of flexible command and control that can manage fighting a guerrilla war in very rough mountainous terrain in in the interior of Jamaica. And so pretty soon they lose two separate battles and it really looks like the Maroons are going to be free. Quite a victory for the Maroons uh, against the British Empire. But of course it doesn't last. The British send reinforcements under one General Walpole and with his leadership, they decide they're not going to try and hunt down these Maroons who clearly are better in the wilderness than they are. They're going to cut off their supply of food, burn the fields, starve them out. It's brutal. It works. The Maroons are forced to surrender. A bunch of Their runaway slaves that they were harboring are caught and executed. It's very grim. A few of them actually escape. There's a leader called Cuffy or Kufi who will lead a band of runaway slaves for the next almost 30 years until slavery is ended in the British Empire. So that's pretty cool, but not really the story we're telling here. Another cool aside I should mention is Queen Nanny, who's the leader of one of the Maroon communities that is not involved in this war, but one of the first African and Caribbean women to be known to be in a position of leadership. Anyway, I was getting off topic there, sorry.
1: Get us back to topic, David.
0: So, the Maroon surrender, and... They agree with Walpole, a treaty, they'll be allowed to remain in their communities, things will go back to the way they were before with more verification. Everything's good, Walpole goes back to London, and then the British governor of Jamaica breaks the treaty, rounds up the Maroons, and exiles them to Nova Scotia, where they send a letter to Walpole, because just like the previous group of previously enslaved Africans who randomly got shipped to Nova Scotia after the American Revolution, this group of previously enslaved Africans who have just been shipped to Nova Scotia, really still not down with
1: the climate or the government of Nova Scotia or any of this. Our apologies, David, to all our Nova Scotian listeners who uh, may be feeling a bit offended that nobody really wants to live there. It's actually a lovely province, but I
0: do understand why coming from Jamaica to Nova Scotia at the start of winter would be one heck of a shock, so probably could have been handled better. But anyway, Walpole is horrified, rightly so, because he signed a treaty, as he sees it, with a free and independent people he happened to be at war with. And it has clearly been violated by the colonists who did not care about the treaties or the authority of the British Empire when it conflicted with their own racial bias. Walpole actually becomes an anti-slavery activist because of this experience and therefore leaves the British army, gets elected into parliament, and is one of the parliamentary figures who's well-known in the British anti-slavery cause afterwards. But that brings us back to the British government having a problem. Walpole is pushing to help these Maroons, led by Montague Jones, leave Nova Scotia as they have asked him to do. The British government doesn't want to offend this important military and political figure, but also doesn't have anywhere for them to go and this is when the sierra leone company shows up and says they should come to sierra leone and when they do they should work for us as soldiers dealing with the riots we're having by the last group of people we shipped from nova scotia
1: to sierra leone David, they say history repeats itself, but usually not quite so quickly. It is not a long
0: time at all, but it works, surprisingly. The arrival of the Maroons, who have experience as soldiers because they fought against the British Empire surprisingly successfully twice, means that they're able to put down the rioting, And some time after the disastrous failed cotton experiment does help to get the food situation in the colony normalized, and the Maroons holding together, becoming known as the Jamaicans in
1: Sierra Leone, quite reasonably. Well, David, they couldn't call them the Nova Scotians because they already had one group of Nova Scotians, even though they had come from Nova Scotia.
0: Yes, There are some naming issues for Sierra Leone historians that I personally would not have expected before I started researching this episode. Regardless, they hold together as a group and it helps to make them a more effective political pressure group, which in turn means that they remain an important influence on Creole culture in Sierra Leone to this day, and Sierra Leone, partially because of this whole mess, and especially because the British government is taking more notice of the fact that they requested soldiers in the first place, Sierra Leone ends up becoming an official British government colony, which has an odd beneficial side effect that when guys like Walpole get slavery and the slave trade banned, specifically the transatlantic slave trade banned in 1807, that leads to a British naval station being established in Sierra Leone which will be very effective at helping to stop the slave trade. So not all of the after effects of this rioting are bad even though obviously the destruction of the first local african democracy in africa is a historical tragedy
1: so david after this does sierra leone become more of a traditional british colony uh, less goofy cotton plans and shipping of nova scotians and more what you'd expect from the british empire it does become a more traditional
0: british colony in some ways that's good as we've seen the leadership of the sierra leone company were hardly what you would want in the leadership of a society. In other ways, it's not so great. Some of the ways that Sierra Leone was intended to be a example to the world, its goal to have a moral purpose gets lost as it becomes just another British African colony whose subjects are mistreated as is common in the british empire everywhere
1: well david thanks for telling us this story
0: always happy to neil
1: make sure you give us a follow on social media at when art thou and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so that you're getting new podcasts as soon as they come out david we always like to end with a quiz are you ready for a quiz i'm ready for a quiz neil all right today's quiz is called this or that i'm going to give you one fact and then ask you about another related fact. Okay. For example, here's the first question. The largest non-contiguous empire was the British Empire. We've just been talking about them. What was the largest contiguous empire, meaning the entire empire was connected by land?
0: Ah, that's an interesting question. My initial thought, of course, is the Roman Empire, just because it's so well known. But actually, as I think about it, I think some of the empires in Asia may have been larger. So I'll guess the Mongol Empire.
1: Good reasoning, David. You got it. The Mongol Empire under Genghis Khan spanned 15 million kilometers squared in 1279. That was as big as it got for contiguous empires. Next fact. The 335 Years War was an alleged state of war between the Netherlands and the Isles of Scilly which are located just southwest off the coast of Great Britain. And if you accept that that was in fact a war, at 335 years long, it would have been the world's longest war. What was the world's shortest war?
0: Ah, as it happens, I believe I actually know this useless trivia fact. I believe that the world's shortest war, a mere half an hour long, was the Anglo-Zanzibari
1: War. You're right, David. The Anglo-Zanzibar War of 1896 began at 9 a.m. on August 26, 1896, and ended a mere 38 minutes later. Good answer. Next question. The fastest nautical circumnavigation record is currently held by a wind-powered vessel, the Trimaran IDEC-3. They sailed around the world in 40 days, 23 hours, 30 minutes, and 30 seconds. Pretty cool to go around the world that fast in a boat, but let's look at an even more interesting method of transportation. What was the fastest balloon trip around the world? The fastest? I did not know that anyone
0: had actually completed a balloon trip around the world, although I suppose it's inevitable now that you mention it. Anyway, since I don't know,
1: I'm forced to say 40 days. I like it, David. It's a good guess. It was actually 11 days, 4 hours, and 20 minutes done by Fedor Konyukov of Russia in July 2016. The largest city in the world right now is Tokyo, Japan with nearly 38 million people. But what was the largest city before the Common Era, before Christ?
0: Before Christ. Wow. Again, I'm tempted to say rome but again i'm going to suspect that the sheer size of the chinese empire means that one of its cities would probably be the largest so i will guess beijing
1: that is a good guess david and beijing was among the biggest cities in the world in that time but I was looking for Alexandria, which some estimates say reached a million people in 100 BCE, although Rome also reached about a million people around year zero, so depending what estimates you like it could be a few different answers. Final question for you, the bloodiest battle of the Civil War was the Battle of Gettysburg, with 51,000 casualties over 3 days. What was the deadliest single day of the Civil War? deadliest single day of the American Civil War. And this is just one battle, David, so we're not looking for one day of a bigger battle, it is one contained battle.
0: Just the name of the battle. It wouldn't
1: be the Battle of Antitam, would it? It would, David. The Battle of Antitam, also known as the Battle of Sharpsburg, on September 17, 1862, resulted in almost 23,000 casualties in a single day. Thanks for playing along, David. I always enjoy it, Neil. And thanks for listening.